I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney, standing here with some young adults. We have Casey, we have Aubrey, we have Kelly, and uh, they are all with Utah Partnerships for Christ, a Russ East production. They come up and they help uh, share the gospel with people all over the state. Why they're gathered here tonight is for a very special occasion. Aubrey turned 16. <laughs> 20. 20. 20 years of age. And uh, so uh, Casey and Kelly are going to sing her a song. Are you ready? And a one, and a two, and a three. This, this is, is your birthday, birthday song, song, and it's not, not very long. long. <laughs> there it was. We perform at the ultimate for you. Happy birthday. Thank Thanks you. for coming on, you guys. If your family and friends can't watch Heart of the Matter on live television, have them go to www.hotm.tv. They can watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. All of our programs are archived. You can watch them for free, over 260 hour-long shows for your uh, benefit. Join us Wednesday night, July 6th, 6 p.m., as I've been invited to speak at Wheeler Farm. Let's take a look at some propaganda right now. We're back and the topic, what are Christians expected to do in these troubled times? According to the Bible, in the face of growing social evils, elections, politics, etc., are we going to fight? Are we going to protest? Are we going to make war in the name of Jesus? Or are we going to take his word out to the nations, spread him and the love that he shared with all mankind? Join us and hear the answer, which may take you by surprise. Again, that is going to be Wednesday night, July 6th at Wheeler Farm, 6 p.m. We do believe it will be one of the single most important speeches you will ever hear regarding Christianity and our nation's politics. How about a moment from the Word? It's unique. Now, 
spots, you know that we go through the Word and we're going through the book of Matthew and we just stop at passages that kind of apply to the Mormon-Christian debate and dialogue. We got an email from Lisa who said, my question to you is regarding heaven. I'm a born-again Christian, but I've been told by Mormon missionaries that I cannot get to heaven unless I'm married. Is this a standard of theirs to get to the highest level? Does it mean that being saved is not enough? Well, last week we covered what Jesus said in Matthew 19 about those uh, people who get divorced for any reason other than fornication within the marriage covenant uh, are guilty of adultery if they remarry. And this is ugly and it's painful, but it is true. Tonight we're going to read the following verses up to that which, where Jesus articulates even more about marriage. See, the disciples were blown away by Jesus saying, hey, if you divorce for any other reason other than fornication, you are an adulterer. And they said, if this be the case uh, of a man with his wife, the apostles said, it is not good to marry. They made this declaration. And Jesus said in return, all men cannot receive your saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born of their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, he says, let him receive it. So just what the heck does all of this mean? It means a lot, uh, most of it uh, in contradistinction from LDS doctrine. You see... These apostles of Jesus were so full of uh, Jewish notions, they thought or they were under the impression that they could divorce their wife for almost any reason under the sun. It was their privilege. And to hear Jesus say otherwise caused them to respond saying, well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry at all. In some cases, this is absolutely true. Many people should never marry. It's okay if you don't. To be single. When I came out of Mormonism, one of the things that blew my mind when I met Christians was their acceptance of people who had never been married. Because in Mormonism, it is so different. One woman I met who was in her mid-30s and she was quite attractive, she explained to me that being single enabled her to serve the Lord better full-time than, and that Jesus was her partner and king and she didn't necessarily need a man in this life. To an ex-Mormon, such talk was unheard of and uh, revolutionary. After all, uh, when I left my LDS mission, the mission president took me aside and he said I needed to get hitched as soon as possible. And I cut my statements, I cut my teeth on statements like these. Look, check these out. Joseph Smith himself said, Except a man and his wife enter into the everlasting covenant and be married for eternity while in this probation, meaning while on earth, by the power and authority of the holy priesthood, which is in Mormonism, they will cease to increase when they die. That's from the history of the church. Brigham Young said, listen to this one, no man can be perfect without the woman, so no woman can be perfect without a man to lead her. I tell you the truth as it is in the bosom of eternity. If a man wishes to be saved, he cannot be saved without a woman by his side. This is quoted in Spencer W. Kimball's Miracle of Forgiveness. By the way, just to let you know, Brigham Young also said this. Listen, the monogamy order of marriage, so esteemed by modern Christians as a holy sacrament and divine institution, is nothing but a system established by a set of robbers. 
meaning polygamy is the only true order that God endorses. Monogamy was something that was instituted by robbers. Uh, in the church-owned publication, uh, popular when I was a kid, called Achieving a Celestial Marriage, it says on page 65, consider this fact, your marriage is a laboratory for godhood. See, in Mormonism, a person cannot uh, achieve the highest degree of the celestial kingdom unless they have been married in a Mormon temple. Uh, uh, and it used to be unless they were polygamous. And so, uh, to a great extent, getting married for a Mormon is equivalent to salvation and exaltation. So, here in old Matthew 19, Jesus seems to say something very differently. Uh, and what he states, we can understand a few things. First, the apostles said to him, hey, Jesus, it's better than for a man not to get married. And Jesus responds, well, all men cannot receive this thing that you're saying, okay? And he says, save to whom this saying is given. Meaning, not everyone can remain single except those to whom the single life has been given by God, ordained by God. And then he goes on and he lists those who are able to receive the advice that the apostles suggested in never getting married. He says, for there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. So in other words, he details who could remain unmarried and he does this by talking about eunuchs and, uh, by, and saying some were born this way, some were made this way by the cruelty of men, and some have chosen to be this way for the kingdom of God's sake. Notice that the, being a eunuch, eunuchs worked in harems because they, were, uh, they had themselves castrated or they were castrated. That means they didn't have any sexual drive and they were allowed to work within the harems of women because they wouldn't be having uh, relations with them. And so Jesus says, some men, you know, are born eunuchs. It's part of the fall. And they don't have the sexual drive, so they don't have to get married. And some men, by the cruelty of other men, are made eunuchs, meaning uh, slaves were taken and made eunuchs, and they don't have to be married. And he says, some men, for the kingdom of heaven's sake, have made themselves eunuchs, meaning not necessarily only through castration, but have said, I choose to be celibate. These two do not need to marry. He says, those who can receive it, let them receive it. Uh, marriage, whether because they were born asexual, made asexual, or chose to be uh, celibate throughout their life, not being married was fine with Jesus. It just, de it just depended on the circumstance. But notice, in every case, to not be married also meant to not have sexual relations. That's built into the argument. You got it? Okay. All right. We got an email from Earthworld100. It says, uh, I went to church one Sunday, and since the missionaries won't leave me alone, my intention was to go to church and listen, but they won't leave me alone. Um, you should have heard the testimonies today at church. I feel so sorry for these people. One joined because he had received a copy of the Book of Mormon. He read it, and then he fell asleep. And he had a dream, and in his mind, something said, Utah Smith. He got up and he looked on the internet up Utah Smith and there was a gospel singer in Utah uh, named Utah Smith 
And so he said that was Father in Heaven's way of telling him, you should join the church. And so he did. Now, the LDS are always saying, you know, I have a testimony, I know it's true. And you ask, well, how do you know it's true? And many of them will say, well, I just feel it, you know? And then they might pull out an assortment of unconventional facts about their belief, you know? We have a temple, we have prophets, we have 12 apostles. I know it's true. Well, we came across another individual, non-LDS, who too seems to believe that she can know the truth through her feelings, combined with uh, some very odd facts. It, it's the character Phoebe on the uh, show Friends. And what happened was, in one episode, Phoebe's sitting there and she watches a cat crawl into her orange uh, felt guitar case. And so she believes that this cat is her mother. And so her friends start saying, well, Phoebe, how do you know that it's your mother? Well, let's take a look at the clip and we can see how Phoebe thinks truth comes about. You? Come on. Crazy. Oh, my God. What? Nothing. Nothing. What? What's wrong? I just... I just have this really strong feeling that this cat is my mother. You mean the mom you met in Montauk? She was a cat? No, no, she was a human lady. This is the spirit of my mom, Lily, the one that killed herself. Are you sure she's in the cat, or have you been taking your grandma's glaucoma medicine again? No, Dr. Skeptismo. I'm sure. First of all, okay, there's the feeling. Okay, and for another, how about the fact that she went into my guitar case, which is lined with orange felt. My mother's favorite fish was orange ruffy. Cats like fish. You had me with orange felt. Hi, Mommy. How do you know truth? Do you just feel it? When you look at the cat, is it your mom? I mean, do you just feel it somehow and then you know it? Do the facts, which make absolutely no sense, make sense to you somehow? That is not how you discern truth, my friends. You discern truth, like my good friend said, Reed, by starting by getting a library card and by getting a Bible and opening it up. And you start searching through the facts of a situation, not through anything else. Mormonism can no, be, can no more be known to be true by feelings than someone can look at the moon and say, I just feel that the moon is made of cheese. It doesn't work that way, okay? Your feelings are irrelevant when it comes to truth. Feelings apart from unsubstantiated facts uh, are extremely dangerous and they are used by manipulating men and women to get you to believe what they want you to believe. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. God in heaven, we need you uh, tonight. We're short on uh, staff and, and, and people are sick. We pray for Carl. We pray for those uh, in his family. And uh, we pray for our studio audience here and for our audiences wherever they may be that this message will be able to help open their eyes and minds and ears and hearts to truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we have talked about early American history, how it played a part in his view. We've talked about 19th century masonry, evangelical practices, and other popular themes that help build up the ground beneath his feet. We've talked about Joseph Smith Jr.'s grandparents. We've talked about his parents' influence on him. Tonight we're going to analyze some commonly known and not so commonly known events taken from the life of Joseph uh, Smith, young Joseph Smith. 
Researching and reciting these facts makes me sad for young Joseph Smith. Truly did. Um, but they also help us understand his developing character as a very young boy and how it contributed to his developing the Book of Mormon and claiming that there was gold plates buried in the hill close to his parents' home. We might summarize all of these experiences that I'm going to explain, there's nine of them, with one word. Extreme. Extreme. This boy, from a very young age, experienced extreme uh, circumstances. Now, sometimes people will say, well, these are what made him what he is. And I would agree with that. But they, can you consider they also contributed to the things that he did in maybe not a religious way, but maybe in a, in a con way. Uh, these things include extreme personality types of each of his parents, extreme family poverty, extreme social ostracization of uh, the Smith family, extreme physical labor, extreme physical pain, extreme religiosity in his surrounding community, extreme disappointment in people who he ought to have been able to trust, uh, extreme exposure to folk magic practices and mysticism, and finally, extreme sorrow all before he turned 13 years of age. Let's talk about these nine experiences. First, how did Joseph Smith's extreme parents, even fanatically polarized personalities on religion, affect the boy? In the least, his mother was religiously obsessed, like we mentioned last week, while his father was religiously cynical. Would this play a role in Joseph Smith's worldview? Would the fact that his mother saw visions and heard the voice of God and his father dreamed dreams uh, account for anything in the makeup of Joseph Smith? Would then the, poverty's, uh, the Smith's family's extreme poverty have contributed to his makeup, his view of others, and his writings in the Book of Mormon? Could the family poverty have contributed to Joseph Smith have claiming that these plates were made of gold? Uh, and wouldn't poverty lead uh, to another extreme that Joseph Smith encountered as a boy, and that was extreme social condemnation? Joseph's mother, Lucy, was very sensitive to the remarks about their social stature of their family. Speaking of their poor living conditions, Lucy wrote in her biographical sketches, quote, I have tis true suffered many disagreeable disappointments in life with regard to property. Joseph's father had a long history of difficulty with creditors to the point that the Smith family seemed to constantly be at the point of either losing their home or they have, did in fact lose homes due to uh, collectors coming and getting their debts. Daniel Hendricks, a Palmyra resident from 1822 to 1830, said he frequently saw Joseph Smith Jr., quote, in torn and patched trousers, held to his form by a pair of suspenders made out of sheeting, with his calico shirt as dirty and black as the earth, with shoes so worn he must have suffered in the snow and slush, end quote. When Joseph Sr. appeared before Judge Neely in March of 1826, a resident of Bainbridge, Massachusetts, commented that he was so, quote, poorly clad, he also looked, quote, like a wandering vagabond. I don't mention this to poke fun of the Smith family and their poverty, nor tie their appearances to whether they were worthy before God or not. I merely mention them to help paint a picture of the hardship young Joseph endured and cast a light, a true light, on the family and what they were like, uh, as opposed to the pictures and representations that the Mormon church 
uh, gives us today about the Joseph Smith family. Mormonism today depicts Joseph Smith uh, always clean, always well-groomed, always wearing these white shirts with these bows, you know, on his neck, and these perfect suits, and well-shaven, and their homes orderly and appropriated, and always in their Sunday best. But history tells a completely different story, with the Smith's family uh, probably much more disheveled, unkept, and just, frankly, dirt poor. In an ironic aside, I don't think Jesus nor Joseph Smith, back when he was young, would be warmly accepted in the present-day LDS church uh, based on their appearance alone. Uh, they certainly couldn't pass the sacrament in an LDS ward. They certainly couldn't attend BYU. Uh, anyway, as a result of their poverty, Joseph Smith Jr. also came face-to-face -face with a lot of extreme physical labor which according to many accounts, he did not really like doing. And I don't blame him. Most, people, most kids don't. Could this hard manual labor have pushed him to start dreaming of other avenues of making a living or a life of mystical ease? Certainly he could have chosen to make money chopping wood rather than pretending to see buried treasure by looking in a stone in a hat. But who'd want that if he was personally inclined and personally able to manipulate people uh, and, and being inclined not to want to labor? And so I think it fit that through all this heavy labor, he was like, hey, there's got to be a better way, you know. Joseph Smith said as a result of their poverty, quote, all the children who were able to render any assistance were obliged to labor hard, end quote. His mother, Lucy Max Smith, notes that in the first year of being in Palmyra, when Joseph was only 12 or 13, the Smith males, his father, Alvin, Hiram, and Joseph Smith Jr., cleared 30 acres of land for cultivation. According to the LDS author, Richard Bushman, this was a Herculean effort. Let me tell you something. We've been removing crabgrass from our house, which is why I am tan, and, uh, and I am ready to come back here and teach the Bible after two days of that. Joseph Smith, he hated the physical labor, and I know he couldn't wait to get away from that type of life and create something better for himself. Uh, I could just see him out there working. There's just got to be a better way to make a dollar, you know? He's, he's probably just thinking and churning as this contributed, just contributed to his makeup. Okay. Um, and then there was Joseph Smith's extreme physical pain. Uh, that he experienced as a youngster. Now, as a member of the church, I could not tell you how many times I was presented with a story about Joseph Smith being operated on when he was only a child. And he was operated on. And uh, how they turned this story to suit their sanitized needs is unbelievable. Typhoid fever had slipped through the Smith family, and though almost everybody became ill in the family, nobody died. Two weeks after the fever let, left Joseph Smith's six-year-old body, a sore developed under his underarm and began to drain large quantities of gelatinous infected material. This wound healed, but the boy began to complain about a pain between his ankle and his knee uh, right over the very sensitive uh, shin area. A doctor was called and an incision was made on the six-year-old boy without anesthesia which seemed to heal, but when the incision healed over, he went back into terrible pain. So they incised the boy's leg again without anesthesia, all the way down to the bone to try to relieve this infection. He's six. 
The infection continued and a series of doctors from Dartmouth College were called in as experts. Amputation was their preferred course. Joseph Smith's mother writes in her uh, biographical sketches that she and the young six-year-old said no to amputation and it was she who recommended to these medical doctors try chipping away the infected bone and see if that will heal it. And so little Joseph was now looking into yet another leg invasion, but this one was going to be a doozy. We are talking about extreme pain, blood, and carnage. Now here's the part that reveals a lot about the Joseph Smith uh, story. Laying there is this little six-year-old boy who's in extreme pain. The doctors are standing over him with saws and with tools and in white gowns and sharp knives to dig back into an infected leg that had been dug into two times prior. And as a means to help him cope with what's about to happen, they offer him brandy and or wine. Uh, but the six-year-old refuses. No, I'm not going to drink that. Now, this aspect of the story is his heroically portrayed by the LDS church to its young children. Joseph, when he was just a boy, said no. I will not drink that alcohol, but just let me lay in my daddy's arms. That's what they tell you, okay? Is it really happen like that, or do we need to think a little more about this story? Uh, we do. First of all, where did the wine and brandy come from? Did the doctors from Dartmouth bring wine and brandy to uh, help anesthetize this child? According to a fantastic book written by Dr. William D. Moraine called The Sword of Laban, this is highly, highly doubtful. So we could suppose, and we could be wrong, but we could suppose that the alcohol and brandy came from the Smith's home. So then we have to ask, what would cause a little six-year-old boy to reject taking the alcohol, especially when he had already endured two excruciating uh, operations? Many LDS say it was because of his spirit, his virtue of spirit, his spirit of virtue that resided in him from birth. Uh, especially um, because he was going to become the prophet. But um, it doesn't make much sense that, that young Joseph would refuse alcohol uh, then because Joseph Smith, as the prophet, drank alcohol and, uh, and continued to drink alcohol throughout his life as the prophet, even after he gave a revelation that said alcohol was not to be used. He even had a bar in his home in Nauvoo. Now, if you don't believe I'm, I'm, I'm telling the truth, go to www.utlm, just look up Joseph Smith and alcohol, and you'll see from the history of the church all the references to where the man prophet, after he received a revelation from God saying no alcohol, drank alcohol. So let's go back. Why would a suffering six-year-old so courageously refuse to drink this in the face of such pain? The answer lies in how the child perceived drinking in the first place. I suggest in, the, in light of the fact that the alcohol was a problem in his home, especially between his father and his mother, who was very religious, at a very early age, Joseph Smith began to take umbrage to his father's wayward ways. And this helped uh, build up the type of person that he was. He viewed alcohol and its effects, even as a six-year-old, negatively because of what he saw in his own father. These things are never discussed in the LDS church, just a sanitized and whitewashed version. So this, what, this is one story of the extreme pain that the boy uh, experienced. 
Uh, do they play into what motivated him to then go and do what he did? Maybe, maybe not. Again, this is background information. Then there was the extreme religiosity around his community in which he lived. We get that. We've talked about that. That played into it, of course. And then there was the extreme disappointment he had when he was put in the hands of people he should trust. When he was 10 years old, his father moved the family from Vermont to Palmyra, New York. And uh, his father left to go find land, and his mother was left with all the kids to bring them across to, this, to uh, New York. And creditors showed up right when they were about to leave, and so they took all her money. So she had to rely on the unscrupulous nature of this guy, and his name was Caleb Howard. Well, Caleb Howard was a very selfish, mean man, and he did not like Joseph. And so Joseph, who has a limp because of the leg operation, he isn't allowed to get up on the caravan. He has to walk through miles and miles of uh, snow. Afterward, Lucy had had enough of this man's shenanigans, and she and her family decided to con continue on with another family. This other family actually physically kicked Joseph, bloodied him to where he fell in the snow and lay there, he writes in the manuscript history of the church. says, quote, I was left to wallow in my blood until a stranger came along, picked me up, and carried me to the town of Palmyra. Do these things play into the makeup of the child? I would suggest that it certainly does. And we'll tell you how as we continue to go along. Perhaps nothing contributes more to the coming forth of the Book of Mormonian than Joseph Smith's early magic practices, which he adopted and learned at the hands of his wayward father. We are gonna discuss these at length when we get to the fertilizer section of understanding the Book of Mormonian. Tonight, we're gonna to conclude with Joseph Smith's exposure to extreme sorrow. I'll tell the story quickly. Joseph Smith had a brother named Alvin. He was the oldest brother in the family and where the father was, this is a quote from history, out of the way with wine, Alvin, the oldest brother, took over the, the family store. He took over the family duties. He just made sure everything ran quickly. Well, uh, Joseph loved Alvin, and even in the history of the church, when the angel Moroni supposedly came to Joseph Smith and said, hey, there's a record buried in a hill, the angel Moroni said in this, and you must have Alvin with you to receive these plates. That was the original thing that the uh, angel Moroni told Joseph, okay? Well, guess what? Alvin gets a stomach ache, and they give him some stuff called calomel, and he drinks it, and it lodges in his stomach, and he dies three days later, totally unexpectedly. Well, on his deathbed, he says to Joseph, be a good boy, and he says, and do everything you can to get the plates. Shortly thereafter, he died, and this death served as a tremendous blow to the Smith family. Can you imagine the guilt it took into Joseph's heart? If he had made the story up about the golden plates and his dying brother tells him, do all you can to get them, Joseph. Um, so we have that situation. What made matters even worse is in the face of all these factors that this boy had faced all of his life, a minister, a Christian minister, came to the Smith family after Alvin had died and told Joseph Smith's mother, Alvin is in hell because he wasn't baptized. This rocked her world, it rocked, and she then took half the family and got them baptized in a church. The other half, including Joseph and his father, said, no, we're not gonna join. This is the early makeup of this kid and how the seed of Mormonian started to form and how, what he was gonna do with it. 
when we get to actually what happened with that production of the Book of Mormon, you're going to be astonished about how all this stuff plays into its uh, creation. Okay. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. While we wait for the operators to clear your calls, uh, our ability, of course, to stay on the air and to keep in the ministry is directly related to you and your support through prayers, through telling people about the program, financially, if God so leads you. And so we want you to just consider this short message. Welcome back. Uh, we have Glenn in Spanish Fork. He's LDS and he's a first-time caller. Glenn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes, sir. I was wondering, before I ask you my question, um, is, would you agree with me if theology is the rational explanation of who God is? Uh, correct theology, yes. Okay. Um, with that then in mind, I was wondering also if do you believe that biblical truth and Christian theology is the same thing? Not always. Not always. Okay, and then, because uh, I, I, I do agree with you on some things, and one of the things that I agree with you on is I firmly believe that Mormonism is not the same as modern Christianity. So in that case, um, I do make the stand, uh, as a lot of LDS people do not, um, I believe that Mormonism and Christianity are two completely different things. We speak two different Gospels. I am so glad that you are calling and saying this, Glenn. I, I mean, I, I, mean I, I have no disagreement with a man like you. None. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Uh, I do have a lot of respect for what you're doing. I, do, I, I, I will admit that I think you're kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> I do, do have a lot of respect with your ideas yeah. and the way you present gospel truths, mm -hmm. but I, I was just wondering, if Mormonism is not Christianity, then how do I approach it, and should I think of it as false or something other than Christianity, and if it's other than Christianity, how do I approach that? Well, from, from my perspective, which is a biblical Christian perspective, I hope it's always biblical, uh, you, you, being not Christianity would also make it false. So it would be one and the same. You could say it's not Christianity and at the same, with the same mouth and it's false, or you could say it's false and it's not Christian because Jesus brought the truth. So he is truth. It's him. And his word is truth. So if Mormonism is not 
what Christians believe is true in the Bible and that Jesus is truth, capital T, then Mormonism something different. And if it's not what Jesus said, then it's false. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you don't agree with me, I know. Well, I'll but be honest with you, I'm only a recent convert. I've been a Mormon now for about a year. Oh. And I've been, I, I've been writing a book about, I've been looking at a lot of LDS uh, history and doctrine as well as Christian doctrine. I might, in fact, I grew up a, a Baptist. My dad is a minister. Wow. So I was just kind of wondering. So what happened? How did you go from being a, a Baptist minister's son? Was he a nice Baptist minister? <laughs> well, I think part of it is... Oh. <laughs> well, I think part of it is uh, I just kind of... Uh, I, I had an experience, and it wasn't so much a feeling for me. It was a, it was a deliberate choice. And I, I heard the message, and when you're, when you're confronted with such a powerful message as Mormonism, then you have to kind of sit back for a second and say, okay, uh, you know, what, what should I do with this? And I guess I, I've just studied, and, I, and I've, uh, I've, come, you know, I've, I've kind of just decided, okay, well, I'll, I'll look at this and see what, it's, what God might have in store for me. I, I yeah. could be wrong. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good, Glenn, that you're still searching. I would challenge you to, to really research Openly, I mean, go to UTLM because while people will besmirch their name, they do give you the resources and the references of what Mormonism is founded upon. And then you can read firsthand what the history truly is and what the doctrines truly are. And, and so I understand how you could be uh, attracted to the allurement. I mean, we have an email from someone here in the stack that says, I visited a Mormon church and I was overwhelmed with how friendly everybody was, you know, and, and what a great organization. And my kids immediately were sequestered off to primary and I was able to relax in Relief Society, and et, cetera, et cetera. So I can see how the presentation, you got two young, handsome missionaries or, or, or attractive female missionaries knocking on your door and, and giving you this message. And I understand that. The question is, how do you reconcile it with what's in this book. And I would love to sit down with you personally and you show me, when we talk about specific doctrines, how you reconcile it with the Bible. Yeah, you know, and I would love, I, I would absolutely love to talk to you personally. If we can get together somehow. Well, remember, hanging out with me, people will think you're weird. <laughs> I would love to show you my notes. I mean, I could be wrong, and I'm not going to sit here and say I'm right, because I really agree with a lot of what you're saying. It's making, it makes a lot of sense, but, you know, I grew up kind of like, and I've heard some bit about your background. I grew up a little bit of a rebel and all that nonsense. You know how that goes. Yeah. I rebelled against the truth of what my parents were saying. Yeah. And, you know, when I heard Mormonism for the first time, it just blew my mind away. Of the story of Joseph Smith, gold plates, all that. Yeah. I mean, it just sounded like, it sounded like the real deal to me, I, you know. Glenn, do me a favor. Uh, stay on the phone and, and leave your phone number and or your email, and uh, we will get together, I promise you. Yeah, I would love to. I live, I, you know, I don't mind telling you it's where I live. Spanish, I live Spanish Fork. Fork. Okay, well, they, they've chased me out of that city with rocks before, but I'll, I'll try it again. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, uh, you know, I've just, I, I am experiencing a lot of confusion in my life because okay. I'm doing a lot of research and I've Good. a lot of amazing truths, for, both from... Christianity and, and from what I feel, Mormonism, I could be wrong, and I would just really like to, I just want to learn more and see what the Lord has in store for me. Stay on the line, and we'll, and we'll get together. Yes, sir, I okay. would love that. All right, Glenn, hold on. All right, if someone could pick up line three and get Glenn's number. Listen, I want to mention something to you. This is to the Christian audience. 
Um, those of you who are couples and you're, you're raising young children, we've talked about this before, but Glenn has an experience that is very, very uh, typical. He was raised as a, by a Baptist minister. And, and, he, and he grew up probably thinking, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Christian. But nobody is a Christian until they have been born again. I would teach your children, if you're a Christian couple with young children, yeah, you're not a Christian. You are, you're not a Christian. You go to church with us, and you're learning, and you, you have to discover on your own that, that Jesus is who he is and that you are a sinner and you need his blood. And I'm so glad you're coming to church with us and you're singing the worship songs. And, and it's important that they hear the word of God early at a young age and, and all those things. But never tell them that they are a Christian. Let them come as they mature. That way it avoids this thing that happens with so many that they go to Christian school, they go to Christian college, and then when they're uh, 24 years old they say, I don't even believe this stuff, you know? The conversion has to be from within. It cannot be from without an intellectual or, or uh, cultural, okay? We're going to Niven from Roy. Niven, you're on Heart of the Matter. Niven, you need to turn your TV down, bro. Okay, it's down. You're on the air, man. You're on the air. Oh, okay, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to know if you had ever heard of and or read the title of the book is Who Really Wrote the Book of Mormon? Yeah. On the cover, it shows the Spalding Enigma. Have you ever, have you read that book or have yeah. you read it? I have two copies. I've read it. And uh, I think it, it, it postulates a lot of very interesting hypotheses. I don't recommend the book, and we don't usually, I don't use it in my research, and here's why. Hypothecation is what Mormonism presents their gospel on. They say, well, isn't it possible that the Book of Mormon could have come from golden plates buried in a hill? Isn't it possible that an angel Moroni came and gave a, a new gospel, uh, uh, this gospel that correlates with Christianity but is more? All these hypothecations, and that's how Mormonism survives on blogs and to the public. And, and that's what the Solomon Spaulding uh, idea does. It says, if this person did this, and if this person did that, and if these people had met in that farm uh, back at that time, and if their wives were friends, and ba she baked a loaf of bread and put butter on it, and he ate it and was allergic, and went and met that doctor at the hospital, then it could have been that Solomon Spaulding did, and it's just too much hypothecation. Stay on things that give you hard, cold facts. Does that help? Yeah, I'm just curious. I didn't, I'd never heard of it before, and I just finished it, and that, uh, I, just, I just wondered if you'd heard of it. I appreciate your time. Yeah, Niven, I think it uh, does. I, I'm not saying it's wrong either. It could be absolutely correct in all of its, and we're doing some hypothecation here on the shows about what possibly could have led Joseph Smith to even construct the Book of Mormon, so I understand the problem. But it's best to deal with the Mormons on facts. That's why I would read Grant Palmer's Insider's View of Mormon Origins. I would read um, Fawn Brody's. Have you read all these? I've read Fawn Brody, yeah. Yeah, read Grant Palmer's Inside a View of Mormon Origins. It's exceptional. Read, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, oh, it's a, such a good book. I can't remember it. I'll tell you later. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's happening more and more to me. Thanks, Niven. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, Bobby wrote, I'm a patriot and was wondering if there's something wrong to have a lot of pride in your country and be a Christian. Uh, I would suppose national pride is okay, uh, you know, for a Christian to have to a certain extent. But uh, to me, it's really limiting. And I'll tell you why. Uh, 
we're, we are part of a universal family. I'm not preaching um, one world nation here. But Christians are part of a body that encompasses the world. I am just as much of a brother in the future heavenly economy with a man and a woman sitting in Africa as I am with uh, some of the people sitting here in this audience. So my brotherhood and my sisterhood and my, my Christian family, my heavenly family, is worldwide. So if I start to say America is the best because it's a Christian land and we're this and this, I think it's dangerous. I, 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 don't, I don't think we assign our faith to our uh, country necessarily. I do think that uh, the U.S. was founded on Christian principles, and I do support that, and I do hope that the U.S. continues to be on it. But if you're overtly patriotic, and it even takes precedence over your allegiance to the, what the Bible teaches about faith and love, I would be careful. Additionally, if your patriotism overrides your, um, your uh, beliefs, you have a problem. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that our country has two choices regarding a president. One is a very bad, bad liberal abortions run amok, dogs and cats living together president. And another president is not a believer, but is uh, uh, you know, really accomplished and very conservative. And a third, let's say, is nothing. What does the Christian do? And, and, and let's say this non-believer is even of a different faith that's maybe considered cultic. Because this one represents good uh, values for you, do you cast your vote toward that? To me, that's selling out your faith in Christ. And I would say you don't vote for either in that situation. But that's not how many Christians think who are so patriotic. So that's, that's my thoughts on it, uh, Bobby. I could be wrong on things. Again, this is like some other things of mine. Opinions. Not a deal to die on. Whatever. Uh, this is Mike. Was wondering if you have heard the name Mormon came from the Mormo, which is the name of Satan in the Satanic Bible. A religious teacher told me that. Please let me know. I've heard that before. Uh, and, you know, this is another one of those kind of hypothecation deals. Um, Joseph Smith ridiculously came with this convoluted explanation of where the word Mormon came from. You should read it sometime, utlm.org. And... Uh, he says that more means more, and, and mon means good, and the word Mormon means more good. And he used ancient languages to try to justify that name. That was his explanation of where it came from. There was also uh, the capital of uh, one of the islands that were on a map when he was young uh, was uh, like Comoros Islands, like the Hill Comora. And its capital was like Moroni or Moroni, Mormon or something like that. So all of it could have been borrowed. Don't really know. This one I'd be careful about because I'm not sure that it holds water. And it is kind of salacious. Really fun to tell a group of people. Do you know where the name Mormon comes from? From the Satanic Bible. But I'm not really sure that holds water. So be careful with it. Okay. Operators are, lines are full. But keep trying operators. Hurry up because I'm about to pick one up. Not even knowing who it is. Uh, this is from, oh, this is from Dallas, and I guess in Dallas, uh, churches there are embracing Mormon wards in community uh, affairs and events. They're getting together, and the LDS churches are really saying, hey, how great it is that we're joining hands with uh, these churches out there. Um, 
So I'm just pointing this out to you. You're going to see more and more of that. I remember even when I was a member, the brethren of the hierarchy of the LDS church telling its membership, get involved with other churches. Get out there and rub shoulders with them. If they have committees for the community, get on those committees and start rubbing shoulders with the pastors and priests and rabbis uh, of the community because they want to be embraced by those. And that way, it gives them deeper roots and deeper seeds in the community. So be very careful, uh, pastors out there. Don't do it. It's a, it's a mistake. Carlene, uh, wait a second. Let's see. This says, Jason Salt Lake City. He gave his life to the Lord on the show and has a question about baptism. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Sean, you look, uh, wow, <laughs> awesome. Not weird? You pinched your look. Always. How are you? Good, how you doing? This, this is Jason that you saved on the air. No. You got saved, do you remember got me? Sa yes, I remember you getting saved by the blood of Jesus on the air, yes. I'm in. Um, listen, I have come to the... Uh, in my studies, and I began at the book of John. I have uh, three very probably easy questions for you. What is the importance of uh, me becoming baptized um, now that I am saved and I've accepted Jesus Christ into my life? Um, if you would go on to explain to me um, the importance of baptism. Okay. You want to stay on the line? Sure. Okay. Jason and audience, this is it simply. It's important because Jesus commanded it. He told, the, he told his apostles, go out and baptize, so they do that. Why baptize? Well, in ancient Israel, the, 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 members, the children of Israel, the men, they had a way of identifying themselves as, uh, as the children of Israel. And they cut off the, the foreskin of their penis. All right? That's called circumcision. And it was an identifying... And that done too. <laughs> <laughs> Too much information, Jason. Sorry. It's okay. So, so that was the way that God told them, listen. But, but when in the Christian economy, God said, listen, circumcise your heart. Get rid of the, the stone in your heart. Become soft-hearted. And then he said, listen, and as a sign, as a way to be identified as a follower of mine, you be baptized. And what it's symbolic of is, is you saying to the world, hey, I profess my love and faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be buried with him in the water like he was buried, and I'm going to come up into new life, almost like being born uh, from the mother's womb. New life, you come up, and it's a public profession, and it's you're identifying yourself with the body of Christ. Now, you called the show, and you publicly professed. Many people in churches and at concerts and stuff, they go forward and they publicly profess. That's all really well and good. But the true public profession of a Christian is when they are baptized and they say, hey, I want to be identified publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are the reasons. Now, you understand well, it's not for salvation. You've experienced salvation through the blood and only the blood can save you. But now as a way to further identify and follow Christ and do what he tells you to do, you are baptized uh, in water. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's, 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 uh, it's striking me similar to publicly professing my love to a woman in the terms of marriage. Sure. Only pro professing my love and, and uh, undying devotion to Jesus in, in baptism. Am I on the right path there? I would totally buy that. I think that's a great analogy. Um, my uh, second question is, uh, I, I am by no means uh, a Bible uh, theologian, uh, but in scanning through the Bible, I've noticed kind of a, there's no real pattern that I can see 
where uh, God distributes wealth to certain individuals. And I don't really mean Job, for an example, but uh, I think John or, or somebody, and it's just really uncanny to me, um, and I don't know if we're, we're talking about the mysteries of God's ways or, um, or what, but it, it's just kind of interesting to me. Do you have any comment on that as far as you know, uh, the distribution of, of wealth, and, and uh, you know, he gave so-and-so a bunch of gold or whatever this way. Yeah, absolutely. In the, in the Old Covenant, uh, if you obeyed, you were blessed. If you disobeyed, you were cursed. And, you would get la- and many of the prophets of old were very wealthy men. And the Jews understand that economy. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing curse way. I'm using economy a lot tonight, but it's, it's the way God worked with them, you know? And if you obey me, your lands will be fruitful. I will reign upon it. And if you don't, but with the Christians, the promises are not that. In fact, it's the opposite. God says, listen, Jesus said, you follow me, you're going to have trials and difficulty. Now, it might be financial. It might be in your family. It might be with your health. So that's one thing. The second thing is there are some who have been blessed by God as Christians. And and they have the gift of, of giving. And they give that wealth according to their ability and according to how he leads them. And it benefits the church in a way that other people benefit by uh, volunteering. And other people benefit by toting bales and lifting barges and whatever you can do. And so people who have been blessed with wealth in the Christian economy, they serve a purpose in the body of Christ too. Just like somebody who has it, but they're able to do other things. The third thing is, is um, Jesus says through John in 1 John... All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, uh, they are not of the Father, but are of this world. When Jesus gives the parable of the sower, he says, some fell this way, some fell this way, and he says, and, then, and some of them fell on these thorns. And what happened to them? They were choked because of the cares and riches of the world. So that's why Jesus said it's easier for a, uh, uh, um, a wealthy man to get into the kingdom of heaven than a camel go through the eye of a needle. So, oh, yeah. so that, that is kind of a, a nutshell approach to how it works, Old Testament, New Testament. God certainly blesses very good men and women with, with money, and they have the ability to manage it and make it, and other people he doesn't. But he is our king, and he knows. Well, but, yeah, this isn't to give the message that having a lot of money is evil. Right. Sure. But um, it's not necessarily, final, it doesn't, it's my, not indicative that you're good either, which is what the Mormons say. If you're wealthy, then you have been blessed by God. They're, they're incorporating an Old Testament thought into, into these times. That's what the LDS do. That's why I was kind of making that point. Oh, that, that's excellent. I, I mean, that really feel. And finally, this, this might be off the beaten path. Um, I was exposed to a, a DVD lately uh, entitled The Secret. Have you heard of that or been exposed to that at all? No one has shared The Secret with me yet. Um, it has to do with the law of attraction, basically what we think about, we bring about into our lives. But it's a beautiful video. I, uh, I encourage you to, to watch it. it. It really does have a background, background tone of uh, Jesus throughout the whole video, but not in the forefront because it didn't want, they didn't want to come out as religious material. But uh, that would be really interesting to, uh, to see your opinion of that. It just has to do with the law of attraction. How we, what we think about is what we bring into our lives. Yeah. And in other words, if we're worried about debt and we think about debt, we're just inviting more debt into our lives. Okay, be very, be, think of, Jason, yeah. I'll, I'll check it out, but be really careful with that. There's a, there's a thread of Christianity. It's name it and claim it. 
and there's all this positive thinking will bring it about and and just and there's a lot of that that goes on it goes very it's very uh big in a new age thinking it's very big in uh, certain mysticism and uh so just be careful is all i'm saying i'm sure there could be validity to it it might be wonderful but i'm just warning you to be careful um what are some things that you can advise me to uh, be on the red light alert for everything well, I mean, some, some signs that, that I definitely would, would uh, red flag it. Pro anything that brings pride, anything that brings division, anything that brings, anything that's opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, peace, joy, uh, temperance, all those things. You know, anything that is bringing anything counter to that, especially the pride and, the, and the, those things, anything that starts to happen, be careful of those things. And b why? Because we are all made to be that way, myself included. Okay. okay, so anything that's going to bring my mind and heart off of Jesus is, is, is going to be, yeah, I understand. Hey, we're going to have baptisms in sep on September 3rd at Burning Heart. So if you don't, if you're not part of a church, I hope you are, but if you're not, come out there and we'll be glad to do it. Uh, Sean, I am not part of a church, and uh, I want to be, and I, I am asking for your guidance. Uh, well, I would, I would get baptized as the Spirit moves upon you, and if you... If you can make an association, you really should have an association with a church in your area that you can start going and fellowshipping with and learning more of the Bible from them. It would be really good for you, Jason. So that would be your the colleagues, One of your colleagues had brought in a Bible and making sure, uh, you, you sent him, making sure I had an accurate King James Version, and it was a blue Bible. And I do want to, uh, when I do get baptized, I'd like you to baptize me, and I want to bring that Bible and have you sign it. Now, tell me where this church is again. I am in Salt Lake, up here behind the Capitol. Write us, and we'll talk about that. Derek sent you that Bible, and, uh, and he sends them all out. So we... Um, He'll be there. I'll be there. We'll give you. You'll hear more about it, Jason, when we're going to have the open water baptism. Okay. Uh, and what church it'll be at, right? Yeah, it won't be at a church. It'll be at Murray Park. But we'll give you more details as time goes on. Will I be able to follow that on the website? Yes. Excellent, Sean. I love you. Thank you so much. Love you too. God bless. God bless. Take care. Bye bye. Uh, question off the air, does the church deny access to early church history or any her history? Yes, absolutely. They deny access to all sorts of things. There are so, uh, UTLM, they have done a marvelous job in getting a lot of this stuff out. And, you know, they have paid the price for that. Uh, but there's still a lot that the LDS church won't release. And isn't that funny? You know, if you're about truth and you're about light and you're about just openly looking at things, how come they don't do that? It's, it's disturbing. All right, listen, join us next week as we begin to unload fertilizer that helped the Book of Mormonian seed grow. And this stuff is going to blow your mind. Stay with us. We love you. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Mm -hmm.